Um, welcome back. <clears throat> uh, we obviously standing right before the election. Uh, now is uh, September 5th, uh, September, November 5th, and the election, of course, is in three days. Um, I, I wanted to continue uh, with certain ideas, and then I'll, I'll get again to what I think is um, uh, hopefully will happen with the Trump and Hillary. But again, I want to go because this what this really is, which uh, what I really view what this really is is a 21st century year. Obviously, right now the most important concept, the idea is obviously uh, between Trump and Hillary, the American elections, obviously, because what I've described so far in all the 11 lectures before uh, is uh, what I think is the is really the spiritual significance of all this, uh, based on the divine plan. Uh, so I'm going to continue in that vein. Uh, and then again, I will get back into uh, Trump and Hillary, because what I'm really trying to do is give an entire understanding, not just of Trump and Hillary, but that the whole, the whole history really is the hand of God. And there's a specific divine plan which is being unfolded, which is really unfolding now. And really the way to understand everything is basically to understand that plan. Uh, I've already mentioned uh, some of the brief ideas about the plan, um, so, but, uh, and so on, but I, I want to now go into certain ideas, uh, especially today, which was very interesting. Uh, we are now in Pashas Noach. They just read Pashas Noach. With the section in the Torah of Noach, which obviously involves the whole concept. The two major events of Noach, of course, is the flood, and of course the Doha Flogo. That's a major event. The Doha Flogo is the Tower of Babel in English, where the entire uh, mankind was spread, and the whole concept of the uh, the derivation of languages uh, really began at that point in time. So I wanted to go just a little into that and uh, explain that that event, which occurred 4,000 years ago, is responsible today for a major event in today's time. Um, anyway, to begin, the study of history is very interesting. Uh, most people, when they study history, they will study what's called descriptively, names, dates, places. This is the history that we learned uh, you know, in school and so on. But really, the way to study history is not descriptively, it is really what's called scholastically or interpretive. Historians try, to historians try to interpret history, which means what are the causes of events? That's really what they try to do. It's not just a description of what happened. They want to know why it happened. So they've come up with many ideas, many theories, many ideas which they feel determine the events of history. There are what's called political reasons, military reasons, cultural reasons, scientific reasons, and so on. Um, and each one of these ideas, economic reasons, they feel this is what is the dynamics of history. This is what moves the events of man. We know, however, that this is not true. We know that what moves history is the divine plan. The Rabbani Shalom, as I had pointed out quite many times, has an entire tochnit plan of creation, what he wants. And the interesting thing is that historians are correct and what that means is that they are correct in understanding that there are uh, dynamics 
motives for history, which is true, whatever they say, the economics and so on. But what they fail to realize is that who moves that? In other words, what the Russian wants to do, for instance, is if he wants something to happen, so then he will use, let's say, an economic uh, concern, economic issue, in order to move history. So therefore, they're right. But what they don't understand is that, is that these are intermediate, intermediary causes. We, however, uh, what we want to do, obviously, as Jews, believing Jews, is we understand that there's an ultimate cause. There's a chair here, by the way. <coughs> we, we want to understand the ultimate reasons for history. And the ultimate reasons lie in the divine agenda or the divine plan. Unfortunately, many people are not aware, A, or B, even if they are aware, they, know, they don't know the divine plan. I mean, nobody knows the divine plan, really, because the mind of God is infinite, I mean, and so on, you know, without having to belabor that. But there, there clearly is a divine plan that we can, what's called, connect to. That has been revealed, and that really, is, is, the, the way to arrive at that, obviously, is, is through Hashkofa. But the problem Hashkofa is, in many ways, a jigsaw puzzle. So you've got to really all put it all together, which is really what I'm trying to do. In any case, now, Reading an example, for instance, I use this uh, as a good marshal. There was once a, uh, a high-ranking general who had a nephew, and they met in a restaurant, and there was a war going on. Let's say the Vietnam War. Okay. So the the nephew said to his uncle, general, he said, "You know, I I think I know what you guys are doing in the war. You know, all the strategies and the ta and the tactics and so on. You know." Uh, so the general said, "That's interesting. What do you think?" He says, "Well." Based on my readings of the newspapers and the magazines and all that, this is, I think, what's going on. He gives him a whole lecture there for, let's say, 20 minutes. Then after 20 minutes, the nephew says to the guy, to the general, his uncle, what do you think? So the general says to him, he starts laughing. He says, you know, your problem is, your problem is that you get your news from where? From newspapers, magazines, talk shows, or whatever and so on. See, you don't know what you're talking about, but I'll do you a favor. Since you're my nephew, I will take you down into the Pentagon. So they go to Washington, D.C., they go to the Pentagon, and from what I understand, you know, the Pentagon is the largest office building in the world. It's humongous. They go down, let's say, four or five, four or five stories underground, and, and he gets them, of course, he gets some security clearance, you know. Uh, in any case, so he goes out, out of the elevator, and they step into this huge room. And in this room, there's a map you know, uh, and they have these little push pins and so on. She says, let me show you something. Take a look at this. So the guy bends over and looks and, he, and all of a sudden, like he's stunned. He says, wait a minute. I see now, I see there was, a there was a battle here, but I realized that I can see from the pins that this battle was a diversion. So something else could happen somewhere else unsuspectingly and so on. In other words, what he sees is a complete different understanding of why things happen. <clears throat> this is the concept. What, we, what, what you really have to try to understand isn't the strategy of what newspapers tell you uh, and so on, magazines and whatever and, and uh, you know, and uh, TV and all this kind of stuff. It's called a war room understanding. In other, in other words, there's an understanding which is deeper, much different than the way we understand it. That's what you have to try really to understand history based on the divine plan. The divine plan is what's called the war room strategy. 
And that's really the answer as to why things are happening. But even if we know, we don't really know totally what's happening. Because there's infinite cheshbonus. Cheshbonus means infinite reasons why something could happen. Something could happen today, and what the Bonisham really intends is 300 years later, this will be a setup for some event which the Rabbanishlam God wants to make happen 300 years from now. So obviously, whatever we do will always be limited. But still, it's worth the attempt. At least to understand from our perspective. Uh, therefore, what I wanted to do, you know, is just give you this understanding that we're not dealing here with intermediate ideas. Hopefully we're dealing with ultimate ideas, ultimate uh, reasons, determinants of why things happen. Okay. <clears throat> Now that I've said this, I want to show you something, uh, what the Bonshem has done. There was an incident called the Doha Flogo, the Tower of Babel. A strange incident. All of a sudden, it's crazy. All of a sudden, mankind decides to war with God. I mean, what, what, what is that even, you know, and so on. I mean, how high could they go anyway? I mean, you know, the whole thing sounds ludicrous and so on. The question is, what is all this about, really, and so on? And I want to try to show you the, how subtle it really is to try to figure out many events of the Chumash. Many events of the Chumash. There are chairs. You want to... Wanna... There's a chair. Is this a chair? There are two chairs? There are several, oh, actually there's chairs over there, so. Is that if you try and correctly understand certain things, it's astonishing what it reveals. So I'm going to use today's Parshish Noyach, the story of the Doha Flogger, as, as a classic example. Because, I, again, my intent isn't just Hillary and Trump. My intent is the 21st century and uh, how, how everything really fits and so on, you know. The, the question which we have to ask, which I had once asked a long time ago, is several ideas. <coughs> Odd the Mauritian, once, uh, I think we once spoke about this. Anyway, Odd the Mauritian, was he Jewish? Interesting question. That's number one. Number two, if Odd the Mauritian was not Jewish, why did God wait for the first Jew the first Jew we know is Avram Avinu. It's called a Hebrew. That's really what, there's no such thing, there was no such word as Jew. Jew came from Yehuda, because in, after tw ten, 10 tribes were exiled, the only tribes left were basic, basically Benjamin, Yehuda, and, and Levi. So therefore, since Yehuda was the majority of the people, so therefore the word Yehuda became Yuda, Yud, Jew. That's how it really happened. And you find Mordechai Yehudi, it took many, many years, uh, you know, until that happened. But until then, the Jews were known as Ivri, Yoina, Ivri, uh, Ivri Ani, when he said to the sailors before they dumped him overboard. You know, Ivri Ani, they known as Hebrews. Avram Avinu was Avram or Ivri. Why? Whatever the origin of the word Hebrew is, either because they came from Ever or across the uh, Euphrates, whatever, Tigris and Euphrates, whatever the reason, so on. So the first question is, was Adam Jewish? Second question was, if he wasn't Jewish, so why did God wait 2,000 years to introduce a Jew? And Avraham Avinu, we know, was the first Hebrew, first Jew, and Avraham Avinu was 52 years old when the world turned 2,000. Uh, so we're looking at 2,000 years, that's a long time, 
2,000 years for the first Jew. Not only that, but we also know that um, one of the reasons why, in the beginning there's a medrash, that God made a condition with the world, that he said what? If Yisrael accepts the Torah, fine. If not, then of course I will restore it to Torah of or whatever and so on and so forth. So what do you mean? Uh, Yisrael, when did Yisrael first show up? I mean, the name Yisrael was by Yaakov Avinu. That's even after Avram Avinu. <coughs> but even if we do from Avram Avinu, that's 2,000 years later. So we don't, like, what's going on here? And so on. And one of the questions I always like to ask, which is interesting, is every holiday, Yom Toif holiday, which the Jews commemorate or celebrate, whatever, is always based on a, um, a, Jewish, uh, a Jewish historical event, whatever it is. Pesach, you know, is the Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, exists from Egypt, right? Shavuos is the giving of the Torah, Sukkot is because of the clouds or whatever. Uh, everyone, Hanukkah, they're all, Purim, they're all based on some type of antecedent historical event. What is Rosh Hashanah based on? What was the Jewish event that occurred on Rosh Hashanah? It's an interesting question. But Adam is not Jewish if we assume he's not Jewish. So therefore, Rosh Hashanah is not a Jewish holiday. If we if we understand, you know, in other words, it's nice that it commemorates the the creation of man. Fine. But what does that have to do with Judaism? Especially since Avraham Avinu showed up two thousand years later. Without without belaboring the questions, what? It's just Plan B, creation Plan A was all human kind. Wait wait wait! I don't, I, no no no! I do not I do not seek an answer from anybody. That's okay. It's. It's really rhetorical. I mean, so I want to answer. I want to get an answer. You know. Anyway. Um, anyway, these are these are these are uh, different questions, and not only that, we find that the Torah is given 2,448 years after creation. That's a long time to wait. So, what is that supposed to mean? You know, why would anybody? Why would the Moshim give uh, the Torah centuries, 24 centuries after He created the world? It boggles the mind. Anyway, I once addressed this, but I'm going to just uh, uh, mention it. <coughs> the answer to that, which Ramchal says, by the way, in Derech Hashem, second Chelet, is that the intent of God was never to give, the purpose of the world was never the Jews. It's a mistake people make. The purpose of the world was a human being, Minonushi, human, humanity, mankind. The, these are the guys who had to do the tikkun. And I, you know what tikkun is, to restore or correct creation. It means to bring God back into the world in which he absented himself. We know that. At Oilam Hazer, this world is a world where God conceals himself. And he wants mankind to bring him back. This was the original intent. Therefore, Odomishan was not Jewish. He's not a Hebrew. It's obvious, right? So then what was Adam, really? The answer is a very important concept. There's a confusion here. Adam was not Jewish, but he was a Yisrael. The concept of the term Yisrael does not apply then to a Jew. It applies to any human that had a certain type of neshama, soul. If a person had a certain type of soul, then he, by his actions, whether it be thinking, speaking, or doing, can actually bring God back into the Bria through his actions. A person with that type of neshama, okay, where he can actually influence the approach or distancing of the divine presence is called the Israel. 
and Odom had that power. Therefore, Odom Arishan was not Jewish. He didn't have to be. He was a Yisrael. That's what God wanted. And all mankind were Yisraelim. The original Israelites, if you want to use that as an idea, was really mankind. And it makes sense. You know, God would not create a nation, uh, you know, what, what is this, privileged status? It doesn't make sense. Why are there so many goyim around? It doesn't make any sense. And the answer is that the original intent of mankind was that a human being, a person, that has the soul which is called Yisrael, can do the tikkun, can rectify creation. And Adam could do it, Cain and Hevel could do it, all of them could do it for 2,000 years. What happened? Instead of doing it, mankind didn't bring God closer. On the contrary, he distanced God because of the incredible sins. Finally, they had sinned so grievously, right, that in the time of Noach, remember, all mankind was, in a certain sense, Jewish, although they were not Jewish, but they had the capacity to be a Yisrael. And what they did is instead of sinning, instead of doing the tikkun, which means instead of doing the seven mitzvahs of Noach, right, which is what, what, what I'll get, and so on, uh, instead of doing that, they sinned, and as a result of their sin, um, God decided to destroy them all. This is the concept of the marble. Okay, because their sins were not just sins, and moral and ethical failures. It was much more than that, because they had the power, whenever they sinned, that they would push God, so to speak, <coughs> not God can be pushed, but he, God would voluntarily distance himself from the Bria, which was terrible, because it was their f uh, f uh, purpose to bring the Rebbeinu into the Bria, which we know the Mashiach will do after the Jews, who now have the task, will have done the Tikkun. Okay? So we have that so far. We, had, we understand now, Odom uh, was the Israel. Odom <coughs> was the Israel, and therefore it was his task to do the tikkun. Rectify, correct, correct, repair creation. He failed, so the task was now given to the rest of mankind. They failed. And we're now standing at the model. Uh, so we now understand some uh, very interesting ideas. Uh, one is that Odom was not Jewish. He was the Yisrael, because the Yisrael refers to your spiritual ability to bring God into the Bria, into the creation, based on your acts. That's what Yisrael is. And you have to have a certain type of neshama in order to do that. That's number one. Number two, and therefore, God didn't wait 2,000 years for Avram. It was immediately, Odomitian uh, immediately could do the Tikkun, uh, and so on for 2,000 years, all mankind, <coughs> you see. <clears throat> so therefore, that, that answers that question. And now we understand what Rosh Hashanah really is. Rosh Hashanah is the creation of an Israeli. I hate to say it, but Rosh Hashanah is an Israeli holiday. <laughs> Sounds funny. But that's why. It's an Israeli holiday because Adam Mauritian, the first man, had the soul of uh, Israel. Uh, so therefore, it commemorates a man that could do the tikkun. And he is a Israel, and that's Therefore, it's, um, uh, it's a Yisrael holiday. But that's the main concept. It's not Jews. It's a Yisrael that God wants. However, they sinned for 2,000 years, uh, for th whatever, hundreds and hundreds of years, and God decided to destroy them. Now, as a result of that, um, fine. Now, God gave the world 2,000 years 
for mankind to do the tikkun. <clears throat> to do the tikkun. 2,000 years, that was the limit. First ten, ten generations between Odom and Noach, really to repair the ten spheres without getting into that. And then God gave another ten generations from Noach, the sons, Shem, Chom, and Yofes, another ten generations until Avram Avinu to, re, to again do the tikkun. In both instances they failed. Therefore there's a major problem now. <clears throat> the problem is what? Nobody's doing the tikkun. <clears throat> God's will cannot be frustrated, you see. So what the Russian did is very interesting. He gave a choice. Now begin to understand history, where the Jews come in. He decided that I'm going to appoint or give success leadership to two leaders, two people who can tremendously influence mankind. <clears throat> and it all depends what they're going to do. Who are these two leaders? Nimrod was one, okay, and Avram Avinu was the other. Now, obviously, they were opposites. Avram, uh, Nimrod was of Zorah, worship idols and all that. And Avram Avinu was going around smashing idols, right, whatever, by his father Terach, and he was promoting monotheism, that there's only one God. Why did Basham do that? Because <coughs> he gave mankind one last chance. He said, you know, I'm going to allow two leaders to arise because you have to be fair. There has to be somebody on the plus side and somebody on the minus side, you see. Therefore, these were the two people with opposite values. <coughs> if the world follows Nimrod, then he's going to do a certain thing, which you will now understand, because obviously that's what happened. If they follow Avram Avinu, then they can keep their ability to do the Tikkun, which is Israel. That means all mankind will continue to be Israel. <coughs> what did the world do? <coughs> what did the world do? They followed Nimrod. To such an extent where Nimrod said, okay, we need to war with God, right? And they began to build a tower. So the Moshim did a very interesting thing. Here's the problem. As long as there's mankind or, you know, there was no such thing as Goyim. There was, there, was, uh, there was no such thing as a goy, a nation. There was only one, like it says, Sofa Echos, right? It said in the Torah. There was one nation and one language. <coughs> there was no such thing as nations, you see. There was one nation, one language, and so on. But they had two different leaders where the world could have followed. Instead, they wound up following Nimrod, right? So therefore, what God said is the following. If I allow one nation, if I take away the ability of the world to do tikkun, and I give it only to Avram Avinu, because that's really what I want to do, because he's the only one doing my will. And then what's going to happen is that this one nation, in the time it takes Avram and his descendants to do the tikkun, which means that the job of tikkun will now go, go from the mankind to Jews, you see. So the Jew will now have the term called Yisrael. So he now is known as two things. He's an Ivri, <coughs> because his descendant from Avram Avinu was an Ivri. Right? But his koyach is no longer just, uh, his koyach now is that he can massacre in the Bria. Actually, he could do it before. But this, it would continue with him and God would take it away from the rest of mankind. It, it, it's an astounding decision. I mean, this, this, what this did, it brought into creation unbelievable things because of this necessity. What was the necessity? <coughs> Here was necessity. If God takes away the ability to do tikkun, which means he alters the soul of mankind. Okay, because now mankind can no longer do the tikkun. 
<coughs> then mankind will kill Avram Avinu. You don't realize the, the real origin of anti-Semitism. There are many reasons for that. Whether it be jealousy, there's a lot of stuff, you know, and so on. But ultimately, there's an interesting concept which the Ramchal mentions and so on. When somebody has, cannot do the Tikkun because he's not a Yisrael, he has an Ishama, he has a spiritual soul, but it's nothing compared to a person that's a Yisrael, that intuitively he's, he can feel the superiority of, an, of that person. And that engenders a tremendous amount of jealousy and ultimately hatred. Now, if how in now, that's the origin of anti-Semitism, really. It's a spiritual feeling uh, that you could feel. And anyway, so if the nation... No, Esau cannot do the tikkun. Yeah, sure, he got cut out. Well, I, I actually... Yeah. Well, anti Well, hold off. Hold off. So therefore, what happened was God took away the ability of mankind to do the tikkun. So they, they remained with a spiritual soul, which is interesting, but nothing near the soul of a Jew that can do the tikkun. Because they sinned, that's what they chose. But the problem is this, you have one nation who cannot do tikkun, rectification, and you have another nation, the Ivri, the Hebrews, that can do. Guess what? One will slaughter the other, ultimately. Uh, the that one nation is going to slaughter this nation. I mean, it's going to take thousands of years. But during those thousands of years, I mean, they, they forget about it. So what the Bonshim did is very interesting. He said, you know, I'm going to take that one nation that I'm taking away the ability of doing tikkun, which is rectification, and I'm going to split them. You see? So now they'll fight amongst themselves instead of killing Jews. Therefore, the Dua Flogger, okay, the split of the nations wasn't because they built the Dua Flogger. That became a necessity once God decided to change the Tikkun possibilities from the Goyim or from one nation to the Jews. Amazing. So, it, it was, what, what the Dua Flogger, the Tower of Babel, was a change to avoid that punishment. It didn't create the punishment of being split. That had to be anyway happened once Avraham Avinu was going to take the Tikkun uh, process uh, and his descendants and so on. They so what the wrong, well, no, they did. What did they do wrong? No, they They were they were going to fight with God. That was the test. Forget about the Havamina. Forget about what these guys yeah, thought. You know, obviously they were all they were all they were all. Candidates for psychiatric consultations. I mean, it's insane. I mean, you, you know, but whatever it was, you know, uh, they did it. That's all history. The Torah records the event, and that's it. You know, we could sit down and make thesis about psychological meanings and all that. How in the world they did this? But in the end, they did it, right? The psukim itself doesn't say that they were fighting against Hashem. What? The psukim itself doesn't mention they were fighting against Hashem. Well, what was the what? Yeah, but well, what else was it? Was it construction? Was it housing construction? They say that about the pyramids, by the way, that the whole thing was to unify Egypt. I don't get into yeah, yeah, it's leaders astray. Anyway, yeah, it's tangent. Uh, but anyway, so therefore, because the world followed Nimrod and they built a tower, they could not. They could not avert the decree. So therefore what happened was, the nations were split. 
obviously the way to split nations is language, because language is really f is the basis of all culture. Besides the fact that they couldn't communicate with each other, which creates an enormous amount of misunderstandings and so on, right? So what happened? They got split, and that the concept of nationhood was created. There was no such thing as a nation before. There's only one nation called in Shinar. That's all. The Sofa Echos, you know, the Torah says that, you know. Now they became nations. But what nations were there? Uh, so if you count all those descendants, there's 70 of them. And because the, they're really 70 root nations, without getting into that. But they were split 70 ways, 70 nations. And now you had 70 nations on one side that cannot do Tikkun. And you have only one nation that can, which is Avram Avinu, the Hebrew, and his descendants. Uh, so therefore, by splitting it, he diffused the enormous amount of anti-Semitism that would happen, and now they would fight with each other and so on. And meanwhile, the Jews, if the one nation became too difficult, they can run to another nation, which is what we've been doing, right, for the last thousands of years. From one nation to the other, got too bad in one nation. You know, we go from Europe to the Middle East, and then you go to America, and we're all over the place, right? And so on. Uh, so therefore, what we see therefore is a very important concept that what <coughs> is that <coughs> one is that the tikkun ability switched from all the nations uh, for actually from one nation and it resided only in in Avram Avinu. That that's a that 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 uh, a very uh, important concept and so on. <coughs> okay, and now the Jews could do the tikkun, and it would take four thousand years from Avram Avinu until now. It would take four thousand years, and we have really been able to survive because in many ways the nations have been fighting with each other. I mean, just take a look at it, you know, the Greeks with the, with the Romans, and it's like everybody's butchering each other, you know, the Assyrians together with the Babylonians. It's all wars. It's amazing when you think about it that the history of mankind is basically a history of the wars of mankind. I mean, it's just incredible and so on. Anyway, so Avram Avinu was able to do that, to do the Tikkun, which is interesting. In fact, if you, there's a two beautiful remez to this. There are many remez, and now you understand <coughs> that by giving Avram Avinu the Tikkun ability and taking it away from the rest of the nations, from the rest uh, of mankind, okay, that's why God says, <coughs> anybody who curses you, they will be cursed. Because you're the only one that can do the Tikkun. You're the only one that can bring Olim Habo. If you don't bring it, they curse because they don't get Olim Habo. That's why it says, V'nivichu b'chokom mishpachu adama, you're the man. <coughs> You know, if they kill you, they're dead. Uh, they don't understand that. Uh, that you cannot kill them a sucking. Somebody could do the taken, or else it harms them. And that's what it means that Bo Avram, Avram Avinu came, and he took the schav everybody. Uh, because now he does the tikkun. However, God had Rachmanus on the, the nation, or the 70 nations, and he left the door open. And he said, any one of you can still, if you become Jewish, or whatever, then you can also do the tikkun. Means they can still do it. Uh, and, and so on. I want to get the history of that, and then he finally closed it down by Matantera, where he gave them again a chance. And now he said, uh, in other words, it was possible for a total nation to become the Tikkun, remaining as the nation who they are. But after they rejected it at the giving of the Torah, uh, which is a whole medrash, then the door shut, and no nation can ever do Tikkun as a, their nation. They can only do Tikkun if they become Jewish. However, they can still get Ulam Habo. How? As a Ger Toshev, you know, if they do the Sheva Mitzvahs. Uh, and what's the future world, the Olim Habo, remains open to everybody. Uh, however, the credit for doing the Tikkun, it can only be Jewish. And therefore, that seriously affects wh what a person... Um, Is that why Torah needed a Kabbalah? <coughs>
rather than just here's the law book, follow the laws. Well, yeah, well, yeah, Torah is cleaning it. Yeah, because that's part of the tikkun. And that was the problem. Well, I don't get into it. That was the problem with Purim. Because they only, they only accepted the written law, not the oral law. So Purim is to undo that failure, that defect uh, in, the, in the creation and so on. I don't get, and Hanukkah was another one. I don't get into that. But anyway, <coughs> it's an interesting, it's an f- incredible, fascinating idea, the origin of the nations of the world. You see, <coughs> but uh, but uh, all the non-Jews, <coughs> which are called Goyim nations, they all remain with spiritual souls. They have to, because if a go- if God had taken that out, then they would not get Ilim Habo, because you must have a spiritual soul to feel or experience the future world. So that, but they don't have enough of a spiritual soul to do the tikkun to rectify creation, unless they become Jewish. Anyway. Can now, they what? Can they harm the situation? Oh, yeah, yeah. That they certainly can do. What, the world? The whole world? Now. <clears throat> the whole world or themselves? The, or themselves. I mean, Not the world. They can affect the whole world. Well, they can kill everybody, but, they, you know. <clears throat> no, they can't stop that. That's immutable. Anyway, now, let's take a look. Now, this event happened 4,000 years ago. That's a long time ago, right? Now, we know <coughs> we are fast approaching Messianic era. So what the Bansham now wants to do, because originally he didn't want to separate the world into many nations. He just wanted it to be one nation to do the Tikkun. <coughs> they failed, right? So as a result of that, in order for the Jews to survive, he had to create the concept called nation, and therefore he had to split the languages, because that would create the concept called nations. However, as we approach the Mashiach, the Marshman does not want to do that. He wants to bring, he wants to undo the split. Wants to undo because you see that in Tilim. says, Lomarok Shu Amem. What the nations get excited, the Yegurik and the thinking foolish thoughts, uh, and they're all coming to go against God and his Mashiach, his anointed one. Uh, therefore, what God wants to do is undo the Doha Flogo, the Tower of Babel. He wants to undo that. That's why you'll find in 1840, which it begins, 1840 is the beginning in many ways. It's the 600th year of the the, uh, 5th millennium. And that's when the marble happened in the 600th year of the life of Noach. That's when it happened, right? He was 600 years old. So the Zoya says that in the the 600th year of the 5th millennium, the world will experience the beginning of the marble, but not as a marble. But as Chochmah, I'm not going into the whole, what, what, why the world was destroyed with water. Forget about that. All I'm saying is that, <clears throat> that that's going to be repeated. But in the 600th year of the life of Noach, that water destroyed the world. But in the 600th year of the 5th millennium, which is 1840, uh, the, that, that's the beginning of Icarus the Meshicha. Where an enormous amount of Chochmah will come down to the world, which we know, of course, is the scientific and, and industrial the industrial revolution and all that kind of stuff exactly therefore you'll notice that at that point in time in history <coughs> there was a spirit of nationalism that began to unify many countries Italy Germany you know Germany had many many principalities and Bismarck came along and unified all of them there was a tremendous spirit to unify the nations of the world the principalities and the provinces and all that but that was nothing. The real tremendous koyach was what? Was uh, how, do we, how do we undo the split of the nations? 
And the answer to that is United Nations. What the UN did, the UN exists because it's an undoing of the Tower of Babel. <coughs> because the UN uni unifies everybody into one chamber, <coughs> doesn't it? That's what the UN does. And of course, language isn't a barrier anymore because everybody's got their headset, and uh, right? And everybody gets up to speak, it's translated to everybody. You got a whole team of guys translating it. You never have to worry about language, you see. <coughs> what does that do? The United Nations, literally United Nations, is an exact undoing <coughs> of what? Of the, the Tower of Babel. Why? <coughs> because the fact that we have a UN is already an indicator that we're near the Mashiach. <coughs> why? <coughs> because the reason why he split the nations was because of they will uh, they will destroy the Jews, one nation against the Jews. <coughs> but since we're at the end of the Tikkun, it doesn't make a difference anymore. You see, we're, the fact that you can have a UN means that we are at the end of the Tikkun process. <coughs> and therefore, even though the nations will now get together, we know what's going to happen. There will be a tremendous rise in anti-Semitism. And lo and behold, that's exactly what the UN is all about. The UN is nothing more than a device where everybody, where everybody can now hate the Jews. That's basically what it is. The UN isn't a, isn't a body... Tragic. The UN isn't a body that seeks peace, fairness, equity, and justice. Of course not. <clears throat> I remember reading an article a long time ago. Reader's Digest had an article about the UN. I uh, said so they wrote in that article, why, how, how come 93% of the resolutions of the General Assembly is anti-Israel? 93%! Like, you think the whole UN exists only to condemn Israel. I mean, that's the whole point of the existence. Of course it's not normal. <clears throat> but we know it is. And that's why God separated them in the first place. Because when the nations come together, what's the first thing they think about that? Get the Jew. Uh, that's the first thing they think about. And they've been doing that for, since 1948, right? They've been doing that. That's all, that all exists on their mind. The UN is nothing more than a vehicle of how to destroy the Jews, basically. Because we see, whenever it comes to Israel, uh, not only are resolutions against Israel, right, but also they, uh, they're always condemning Israel, always. And, and, and there's always a double standard. I mean, the, uh, anybody who has an, a modicum of intelligence sees that there's something wrong with this UN, uh, you see. In any case, uh, this has what, and so therefore we see incredible, but it doesn't make a difference. Why? Because now we're almost at the point of the end of the Tikkun process. And, and God, of course, was right. If you allow them to get together, the first thing they'll think about is, get the Jews. Uh, but it doesn't make a difference, because now God wants to unite the world, ultimately, for the great war of Goig and Mogoig, where the whole world will go basically go against the Jews, you see. So it's fascinating <clears throat> that something which occurred 4,000 years, the logic of what's occurring now is based on something that happened 4,000 years ago. Interesting. <coughs> no, 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 no. No, no, no. no uh, nobody. Excuse me. Uh, it's okay. No commentaries. Uh, that's all. Please. Also, I'll never get through this. Anyway, um, <clears throat> anyway, I, I just wanted, because we're in Pasha's Noach, I just wanted to show you that, that whatever happens in the Torah is not merely for that time. It has to address specific spiritual concerns. And the Bansha knows what's going to be in the future. And this is a classic example uh, why you had to have the Doha Flogger, why the, why the concept of nationhood had to exist.
Okay, so that's number one. <clears throat> Who? Two more. Two more. Two more. <laughs> it just never ends. <laughs> so is the UN a good thing now or is it not a good thing? It's terrible. It's like a, it's like a reenactment of the Garafoga. Correct. But you're saying that now it doesn't make a difference. <clears throat> because the ticking process is almost over. Part of the plan. Yeah, because we... How do we complete the ticket process? I, 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 I can't answer that. I, I, I have to what stick to my... Anyway, okay, that's number one. <clears throat> number two. We know <coughs> that the relationship that we have with the Sultan, which I've spoken before, is that we are, the Jews anyway, are in eternal combat, I shouldn't say eternal, but we are in a combat situation with the Sultan. When the Jew sins, then the, uh, then the, the, the in incredible divine energy that he would have brought down goes to the Sultan, and the Sultan is empowered. I have spoken about this uh, during the Shurim previously, so if you want to go back to the first couple of shurim of this, it's over there. Uh, if the Jews do mitzvahs, commandments, then of course we take that divine energy, right, and the sultan starves. There's a seesaw here, it's a reciprocal relationship, and so on, that has been going on through history. <clears throat> the two greatest events, which uh, I want to just mention, uh, because this will lead us into Asav. Um, <coughs> which is really part and parcel, as far as I'm concerned, about what this election is all about. It's all about Erdoim, Esau, and so on. <coughs> and that, of course, leads us into Hillary and Trump and so on and so forth. The two great, uh, two, one of the two greatest events of all, and there have been many, because remember, the essential relationship that the Jewish nation has with the Satan, the Satan, the devil, I don't know what you call this guy, <coughs> right, is that they we are both vying for the same nutrients, Yenika, divine energy. <clears throat> like I said, if the, if the Jews sin, then we give our energy, which we would have gotten had we not sinned, we give it to the Sultan, and he grows. It's called Tigbur Surah. He grows in incredible might, uh, because measure for measure, it's justice. You don't want it, he will get it. If the Jew does the mitzvahs, right, then we take that energy, and he's devoid of that energy, because there's only enough for one side. And then ultimately, if the Jews do the tikkun, the Sultan will die. Why? Because he has no energy. He has no, he has no kedusha, holiness. Shefa, hashpo, they all refer to the same concept. He has no yenika, which means nutrient source, which is divine holiness or energy. <coughs> anyway, he dies. <coughs> so the Jews can kill the guy. The Jews can destroy the Satan and all evil. And, and it, it, you know, they work at it, slide back a little, work at it, slide back a little, back and forth and so on. <coughs> anyway. <coughs> Anyway, now, so one of the greatest events of all uh, is the destruction of the first base of Mikdash. Now, anybody look at that and say, wow, that's got to be a whopper. I mean, that, that, that's the, fir the first temple, the base of Mikdash, was destroyed, right? 2,400 years ago, 
24, 2,500 years ago, whatever that is. And that was a major catastrophe for the Jewish people. Why? Because in order for the base of Migdash to be destroyed, it means that the, there was so much energy that went to the Sutton. You see? And what happens is the Sutton grows incredibly strong because of justice, and he can therefore do really bad things for the Jews. Now, but it depends on what he gets. What happened was, <coughs> is the Shekhinah, <coughs> when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, the Divine Presence left. The question, of course, is where did it go? And the answer didn't go anywhere. What happened was, <coughs> is that God allowed the Satan, the Satan, to be unique, to nourish off the Divine Presence, measure for measure. The Jews don't want me, and therefore the Satan can unique, take off from the Divine Presence. Uh, now, the Divine Presence is phenomenal. Therefore, since we lost that, we lost prophecy. Okay? Therefore, that's called Shechinta Bigalusa, that the Divine Presence goes into exile. That's what it means. Uh, and what that means is that the, the Rebbeinu the Shechinta, the Divine Presence, allows the Satan to be unique from that Divine Presence. But that divine presence is really is divinity, okay? That means the Sultan can now create major religions. You'll notice at the same time that we lost the base of Migdash, uh, the major religions of the earth were planted. Who? For instance, in the East, okay? Buddhism. Buddha lived approximately at that time. Confucius, and there are hundreds of millions of Buddhists. Confucius, Chinese. There are hundreds of millions of Confucianism. Then there's Lao Tzu, Taoism. Also, these are major religions in the East. Uh, in the West, this was the origin of Greek philosophy. You see, another, which is really the beginning of the scientific, uh, scientific uh, uh, era and so on. Also, you had Socrates, you have Plato, Aristotle, whatever, Parmenides, Pythagoras, all these guys. Uh, so therefore, it comes out that at the same time, approximately, that we lost the Beis Amigdash, the major religions of the planet was founded. Certainly all the ancient religions and the religions of the East. Not only that, but Rome became a republic in approximately 525 BCE. Rome, which is Aesov, that's his beginning. Okay? Uh, he achieved stature, tremendous Hatzloch, and became a republic. They overthrew the Etruscans, which had them... Uh, subdued for three hundreds of years, they overthrew the Etruscans and Italy, which is really Rome, and so on. They threw them, overthrew their uh, subjugation, and they became a. They began to become a major nation. Now remember, Rome is Edom, Edom is Esau. This is the beginning of that, and so on. In any case, <coughs> so therefore, this is the concept: <coughs> is that the major religions of the world came about as a result of the fact that we lost our base Amikdash, you see. So this is what happened, this is the beginning of Edom, <coughs> Rome, and so on, Esau, and so on. And of course, uh, it's the beginning of many of the, the, the major religions of the earth. <coughs> the next major event is the second base Amikdash. The second base Amikdash, the second temple was destroyed, Right? So we already know what the formula is. The formula is, is that if the Jewish people lose the Beis Hamikdash, which is the residence of the Shekhinah, if they lose that, then we expect 
major religion to emerge because uh, because when the Jews have access to the divine presence, then they have access to the perception of the Rabbanu When they lose that, then it's taken away from them, and that allows other religions to emerge. Then they get a better perception of God or whatever you want to, or whatever they conceive as God. Uh, what religion emerged? What, what do you mean they better? then they get a perception of the truth, of the, of the spiritual and divine truth. Because we lose it. We lose the Beis Amikdash. So, so they get it. It's not that it's a better perception. No, no. It is a perception of truth uh, in, 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 a, in a certain spiritual sense. That's what they get. And that's why it, it, it almost always occurs when we lose our Beis Amikdash. This is what happens. In any case, uh, therefore, in the, the destruction of the second base of Amigdash, okay, what religion emerged? Of course, it was Christianity. Now, <clears throat> Christianity, of course, uh, it, 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 really it starts off with Esau. Esau, the Torah says, is Edoim, a nation. Edoim, of course, becomes Rome. But what the Rosham didn't want Rome to be, uh, since uh, Edoim or Rome is going to subjugate the Jews, because remember what I said, that is the, there's a tachas, the purpose of Esau, to subjugate the Jews. I had mentioned this many times before. What the Moshim did is he doesn't want Rome to do that subjugation because then you can get rid of these guys. So what he did is he transformed Rome into a religion called Christianity. In fact, if you go to the Vatican, it's filled with Roman statues. You know, you wonder what, 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 why they're so into Rome, you know, even if Rome was in Italy. But the answer to that is because Christianity uh, is the heir of Rome. That's really what, what, what they are and so on. In fact, Christianity became, uh, Rome became Christianity by Constantine and so on, um, whatever. <coughs> and therefore, Christianity now represents Asa of Edom, Rome, <coughs> and so on. But Christianity emerged with the destruction of the Second Temple. Now, what is interesting is that the interesting, in the contrast, and you could see how they emerged. Because what do they say? They say that they are based Israel. They are the house of Israel. Well, that's what we say. They say, right, uh, that they have the Messiah. Well, whatever they, right, Yeshu. We, we say, of course, excuse me, we have the Mashiach. And they say they have the Torah, which is the New Testament. And we say, what are you talking about? You see, uh, and even the Pope wears a yarmulke. The, the question is, why is what they do so resembling Judaism? And the answer is, because that's exactly what Esav did. Remember, Esav used to go over to Yitzchak, right, and say, do I have to give tithe on salt? So he was an imposter. But he was an imposter on what? On Jewish halacha. <coughs> Therefore, Christianity, right, which, it, which in, is obviously, as far as Judaism is concerned, it's, it's, it's a fraud and so on, that is the same fraudulent aspect where it takes the Jewish view of things, right, and it adds uh, the, the, the deceit of what Judaism is. It's the exact same thing that Esau did. So therefore Christianity, which is, emerges from Esau, does the exact same thing. Uh, and Christianity itself, uh, as a, in, uh, uh, what is interesting also is that the Ari says that Yeshu, I mean, their Jesus, right, is a Gilgal of Esau. That's what the Ari said. You know, uh, uh, that's, that's how close uh, the relationship is and so on. But in any case, um, <clears throat> Christianity, which grew when, we did, when the second base of was destroyed, <coughs> Christianity emerges 
because of the fact that we lose, right, the the, <coughs> the, the perception of the Shekhinah, because that goes away because of the destruction of the second tem temple. And what emerges, of course, is Christianity, which is really a carryover of Esav and Edom. Like I said, that's why they resemble Judaism so much. In fact, if you took away Judaism, the whole Christianity would collapse, because they're all, it, it, you know, they're all, it's all based on Judaism. Uh, that's basically what Christianity is, and so on. So what the Bereshim then does is he uses Christianity <coughs> in terms of the shlichus of Esav, the agency of Esav, which is the persecuted Jews. That's what he does as a result of their emergence. <coughs> so again, we see that this is one of the great uh, transformations that have taken place in history. What? Wait, that's 500 years later. Hold on. Right now I'm up to this, the, the, the second the terrible tragedy, you know. So the, one of the greatest transformations, tragic for the Jews, is that Asav, they emerged at the first temple. Like I said, Rome became a republic. But in the second Mesopotamia, <coughs> they really took on the form of Christianity. Okay, really Asav became a religion. Uh, Rome became a religion. So now the religion of uh, Christianity can now follow the Jews all over the world in the form of Western civilization, because that's really what Christianity is. Uh, it's really Western civilization, and, uh, and so on. Um, and they, therefore they could follow, and it's their job to persecute the Jews, which is exactly what they've done. <clears throat> what is astounding is more people have been killed in the name of Christianity, uh, really, than all the wars combined of mankind. In many ways, it has been terrible to the world. Let me give you an example. Most people don't realize this. But if you want to understand what they've done, let me give you an example. We know the Jews go back 4,000 years. Let's assume 2,000 years. How many Jews were there 2,000 years ago? So historians estimate there were approximately, let's say, 8, 9, 10 million Jews 2,000 years ago in the time of Rome. There were a lot of Jews then. <clears throat> okay. How many Chinese were there? So again, historians estimate how many Chinese were there? Approximately 25 million 2,000 years ago. Now, if you figure 2,000 years, how many Chinese are there today? 1.3 billion Chinese. Why? Because it makes sense. In 2,000 years, a nation will go from what? From 25 million to 1.2, 1.3 billion people. <coughs> you know, given, <coughs> given normal population growth and dynamics. So if that's the case, right? So 25 um, is like what? It's like a 45 time growth from, from um, 2,000 years ago. It's 45 times 25 million, okay? How many Jews were then? 10 million? So if you figure out 45 times 10 million, who? No, no, 10, 10 million. If you, if you multiply 10 million times 45, yes, how many people would that be? 40, 450 million, 500 million Jews? That means we should have, with the same population dynamics, right, 500 million Jews. Wait, wait. At least 450 to 500 million Jews. Could you imagine how many yeshivas there would be? How many shuls there would be? The question is, we don't have 500 million Jews. How many Jews are there today? 14 million? Wait a minute. 
Whatever happened to the 480 million Jews uh, that should have been after 2,000 years? And remember, we go back to Avraham Avinu, which is 2,000 years even earlier than the Chinese. Um, we should have a billion Jews today, just, just on population. Where are they all? And the answer is, they're all dead. Why? Because that's the essential persecution of the Jews. It's an incredibly dramatic way to understand. How could it be that all we have is 40 million Jews when Jews go back to Abraham, Avram Avinu, 4,000 years ago? It's beyond belief. And even if you don't count the 2,000 years before Rome, at least from Rome, right? This is what the, 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 the Christians have done to the Jewish people. It's astounding to think about what that means. How many Jews have, been, have could have been and how many uh, were killed over the course of the 2,000 years. Uh, but that's one thing that the Muslim, because that was their job, is to subjugate the Jews, if the Jews sin. But the, the, what's also interesting is the Muslim gave them a purpose also. Because remember, they're still Aesop, and they're also still part of the Tikkun process, which I had mentioned previously many times. So therefore, one of the purposes of Christianity, the Rambam says, is to spread monotheism. And even though they believe in the Trinity, but still, compared to paganism, it's relatively monotheistic. Uh, so therefore, the Rambam says that it's their tachas to do what? To allow the Jews to, um, um, uh, to spread monotheism throughout the world. Because remember, they have, th they have these two purposes. One purpose is to what? Is to punish and to subjugate the Jews. And the second purpose is not only to subjugate the Jews, but to spread basic monotheism throughout the entire world. Which is fascinating to look at the dual role of Christianity. <coughs> but we cannot escape what Christianity has done to the Jewish people. When you think about it, you know, pogroms, holocausts, you know, uh, expulsions, Crusades. It's astounding what has happened to the Jewish people at the hands of the Christians for so many thousands of years. <coughs> In any case, I mean, the, the, the conclusions are obvious and so on, you know. Uh, uh, and now they want to come across as, as uh, preaching, you know, brotherhood and all that love and so on. I mean, the truth is, they should beg forgiveness from the Jews for wiping them out. 14 million Jews left instead of 500 million Jews. We, we cannot even begin to understand what these people have done, the tragedy of what has happened as a result of the Christians, and so on. If you say that every family had five kids, and you know only one kid has most five kids, whatever, whatever, well, yeah, whatever, <laughs> exactly. Well, if you're trying to set up the Scotia, probably one of the first, but could you imagine if we ask for reparations? That's a practical Yeah, there's not enough money in the world to repair what they've done to the Jewish people. Uh, and I want to tell you something, you know, for whatever reason the Bunchman has allowed this, whatever, that's, that's his reckoning and so on and so forth. But I don't know if you realize that, but Christianity is disappearing. You know that most of the churches in, in, in Europe are empty? The only one who goes to church in Europe are the tourists. Because they have beautiful windows, you know, the, you ever see the windows? It's stunning. The architecture is incredible, you know? The Gothic churches and so on. You just go to, you know, Westminster Abbey or you go to, uh, 
Notre Dame and so on and so forth, you know, or you go into Italy. The, the, church, the, the churches look uh, just incredible, the destruction, the, the architecture, but they're basically empty. <clears throat> people, people are abandoning the church all over, which is interesting. And uh, I think most people don't even go to church on Sunday anymore and so on. But what the Bosham has also done, which is interesting, it's a, it's a tremendous punishment, <laughs> is he has allowed the scandal of the church to become publicly known. You know, all the pedophilias, all the priests and the pedophilias and so on and so forth, he has allowed that to come for the fore, and that scandal has tremendously decimated a great deal of the population of churchgoers and so on. This is all retribution for what the um, church has done and so on. But in any case, <clears throat> um, they have certainly done this kind of thing which is, uh, which is obviously horrendous. But, but in many ways you have to understand that's what their job is. You know, Christianity in a certain sense is uh, his, the big brother Esau, he's, that's his role. Is when the Jews need punishment in a certain sense, then Christianity is, is the one that does it. Um, obviously they've overdone it and so on and so forth, but that's, that's what happens. Esau is intimately tied with the Tikkun process. You know, you see that in, in very interesting ways, you know. If you spell out Jerusalem, how do you spell Jerusalem? <coughs> J-E-R-U-S-A-L-A-M. You know that there's a USA right in the middle of Jerusalem? Did you notice that? There's J-E-R, Jeru, but then there's U-S-A, Jerusa, and then L-E-M. There's a USA smack in the middle of the word Jerusalem. Because Ace of really is, it's interesting. How, did, how in the world did he get there, you know? But, um, uh, but from that, that's like a telltale sign that they are really part of Yushalayim in that sense, you know, because they are part of that Tikkun process. That's a joke. What? That's a joke. Is that a joke? No, it's, it's a joke. Whatever. I'll leave that up to you to think about that. But anyway, there's also, even their flag, even their flag has 13, you know, colonies and so on. It really stands for the 13 tribes of Israel. It, you know, I mean, people would like to think it stands for that. Yeah, okay, whatever, but because there are really 13 tribes. Yosef is the 13th tribe and so on, you know. But uh, the 13, uh, you know, stripes of the American flag, there's 13 um, uh, tribes and the 50 stars, right, is because the Jews have to do the tikkun. And the tikkun is what? Is the, fifth, the 50th level of Bina. And so on. You know, it, it just you know. And I don't know if you know that, but there's a tremendous amount of, in many colleges in the uh, Congress, there are mamish direct references to uh, the Torah, the Bible. In fact, I don't know if you know it, but the founding fathers wanted to make Hebrew the official language of the United States, not English. Yeah, many of them were tremendously religious and so on, because they realized that the whole concept of law, of of, of law, comes from the Hebrew Bible whether it be Ten Commandments or whatever it is. In fact, you have pictures of Moshe, I mean, whatever. In, I think in the Congress, you have many places in the courts of the United States and so on and so forth, where they, have, where they always have a, a scripture, a posse, you know, and you should declare whatever they have, you know, justice and so on, you know. But all of this comes from the Torah. Because, um, uh, well, we're, we're going to get to that, you know, especially it's all over America and so on, you know. Uh, but... Um, Listen, I, I told you before that the word, where's the, where's the Christianity church? It's in Italy, the Vatican. And if you take the word Vatican and write Hebrew, Vatican, 
And just jumble the letters, it spells out Tikkun. Right? The job of the Vatican is Tikkun. Same Katikun, which means it assists uh, in terms of, it, it, it contributes to the suffering of the Jews. In any case, who? Vatikun. Vatican. You know? <laughs> Yeah. So how do you stop all this? You know? The answer is very interesting, what the Roshim does to stop. <coughs> what he did is he put the brakes on Christianity. Enough is enough, you know? And there are several things that stop the ability of, of uh, the church to destroy the Jews. One of them is democracy. You know, people think, you know, we know there's a reformation, <coughs> enlightenment, and so on. So, we, so we think, of course it was good in a certain sense, but democracy, the origin of democracy really comes from that, when they began to realize that all men are equal in that sense. So that began to remove the, the authority of the Pope. That's why the Pope is, the Pope used to be one of the major guys in European history. I mean, he was Europe in many ways, you know. But the Crusades and all that, the Pope can de de determine an enormous amount of, uh, of history of Europe and so on. Uh, but uh, he's been, you know, he's been dethroned, so to speak, and now just the religion and that's it, you know. So it's democracy, the Enlightenment, reformed and so on. The Enlightenment has stopped the ability of the church to try to tremendously um, uh, punish and persecute the Jews. And not only that, democracy has put a tremendous curb on royalty, kings, you know, kings and all that. <coughs> So democracy, which is interesting, has stopped an enormous amount of anti-Semitism and the destruction of the Jews. And that's really one of its main purposes, you see. It's not just to give the vote to people. It's to stop the slaughter of Jews for thousands of years. Interesting concept. But that's really what democracy basically is for, although most people don't think that and so on. <clears throat> also, what's interesting... <clears throat> is uh, the Civil War. I don't know if you realize that, but in the Civil War in 1864, you know, uh, with Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, and so on and so forth, America had a tremendous problem. The South had slavery, but that wasn't the slavery that the Torah talks about. The slavery in the Torah is where you sell yourself because you need money, and so on. And that's basically how a person would hire himself out or whatever, <coughs> become somebody's servant or slave because he needed money. The slavery in the South were kidnapped. Blacks were kidnapped from Africa. A guy that does that is chayav misa, death. The penalty for kidnapping is death. So it comes out that half America was chayav misa. We don't realize that, you know, because God doesn't exact punishment immediately. But the whole South was guilty of a death penalty because they bought, they, there was an incredible slave trade going on. In that time, they were still kidnapping African, African black Africa, you know, uh, blacks from Africa. You're not allowed to do that. That's kidnapping. Uh, you know, it's one thing if a guy comes over and says, "I want to work for you, so I'll be your slave." Fine. Then you know that, that you want to do that. Fine. But how do you go and kidnap people against their will? We cannot even begin to understand the destruction of of Africa of the blacks. How many families were destroyed? because of what happened. Also, people should have slaves. Where did they get the moral right to do that? Of course they didn't. So it comes out, astonishingly, uh, that half America was Chayav Misa. The whole South was Chayav Misa. 
You see? And really what God should have done, which is interesting, when, when, the, when the south seceded uh, uh, from the north, God should have let that happen. Say, hey, you guys are high of Misa. So you seed, you seed, uh, seed, so, uh, seed, whatever. And the north will go their way, the south will go their way, and then God would have, could, could have destroyed America, could have destroyed the south of America. Because they were all high Misa. Wait. Wait, please, let me, let me. Instead, God did not do that. Instead, he gave rise to Lincoln. By the way, Lincoln came out of nowhere. I mean, he, it's, it's like, you know, he's a guy that everybody thought would lose the election. It's astonishing when you think about that for the historians, you know. But in any case, what he did is he brought the South back into the North. So God actually allowed Lincoln to mimetaher America, to purify America. Instead of destroying the South, which Wochai Misa, he allowed Lincoln, which is like a, a wild shot that he even got elected president, he allowed Lincoln to unify the South and the North, thereby removing slavery with the Emancipation Proclamation, and therefore he removed the death penalty on America, which is really very, when you think it in spiritual terms, it's a whole different history book and so on. Why? Because America has, America has a special place in the Tikkun of the Bria. And people don't realize that. It is the Toyshev Esav. So what God did is he allowed Lincoln, in fact that's what he, he put Lincoln in there, to remove the death penalty on the south so they can now become tall, you know, they can become what's called exonerated. And therefore America could resume with a special role as we come closer and closer to the to the gula and so on, but therefore you see the uh, an active will of God to purify to exonerate America and not destroy them, which is interesting. And therefore, what that tells you is that America has a special place in the tikkun. America is not just a regular land. America has saved the Jews many times. Many times they have saved the Jews and so on. World War II is a classic. Wasn't for America, we'd be speaking. There would be the America would be speaking German today, you know, and, and so on. You know, uh, in, in any case, so these it's a very important model uh, that the Bonsham has a special role for America, and therefore instead of destroying the South, which he easily could have done, it's not a big deal. You know, he wanted Lincoln to recapture it, purify them by removing slavery, and therefore America would go on to do whatever they have to do. That's why many, in many ideas, America is the Tov Shebeisov. It's really what it is. It has a special role. Most people don't realize. In any case, <clears throat> now if you look at that, America has a lot of problems. One of them is Hillary. What does that mean? If you look at the characteristics of Esav in the Torah, Esav I mentioned previously has three. One, he's a tremendously arrogant person. That's number one. Number two, he's a tremendous um, fraud. He's an imposter. You know, do I have to give tithe and salt? And number three, he's a tremendous balkaiva. He's into pleasure. You know, <clears throat> it's very interesting to look at the contrast between Hillary and Trump. Let's take a look at Hillary first, okay? <clears throat> and, and, and anyway, let's take a look at Hillary. Hillary, number one, very arrogant person. You have to read what the Secret Service says about her. She's an enraged person, unbelievable arrogance. And, and uh, you have to read what's written about her. That's number one. So that's a classic Esau. She's an unbelievable fraud. Just check out our foundation. 
right? I mean, it's 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 it's, it's beyond belief, you know, with the FBI, uh, you know, investigation and so on and so forth. What this woman has done. In fact, they're saying that her foundation is RICO. It's a, is is a is a criminal enterprise. It's been going on for years. And if they ever brought it all out, she would be sitting in jail for a thousand years. That's how many felonies she and all the other people connected with her would be sitting in jail. So that's the second concept of the fraudulent. Actually, it's criminal. It's on. Then, of course, Taiva. Not so much from her, but from her husband, Bill. And she supported Bill while we all know what Bill was doing, right? Talk about the Taiva and so on. Taiva. <clears throat> That's who she is. And I believe what God wants to do, and we're going to know in three days, uh, is he has to separate uh, this aspect of Esau, which is the Rav Esau, the evil of Esau, these three, as exemplified by Harb, right? And all the other corrupt politicians, because that's really what, what's going on in Washington and so on. He wants to separate that. And therefore, hopefully, she's going to lose, because he will have separated the evil of Esau from America. What about Trump? Now, Trump, we know he's ego-driven. I mean, he, I mean, he really, he's got problems with ego. Fine, okay. That's number one. That's classic Asov. No surprise there, right? They just came out with a whole report, you know, what Trump and, and the women, all that kind of stuff. What is everybody so shocked for? That's Asov. Uh, what do you want, to be a tzaddik? You know, that is Asov. Asov is a gaiva, and he's a taiva. So, Trump's got that. So what's the problem here? You know, there's no Kiddush here, but there's one thing Trump doesn't have. He's honest. Not an imposter. He's honest. He's a straight shooter. And all people who have ever worked with him can tell you that. <clears throat> he's honest. He's upright. He's a good negotiator. Yeah, he's a good negotiator. Of course, he can try to negotiate what's best for him. But he's an honest guy. He doesn't have the fraud of Esau, which is interesting. And therefore, I believe he is the Tevshab Esau. Because the, the worst part of Esau is not just his guy, but his type The guy's a fraud. You know, you never know when he's telling you the truth. <clears throat> Trump has, as far as I'm concerned, Trump has the, the mila, the advantage, the virtue, that he is an honest guy. And therefore, <clears throat> the Tevshab Esau doesn't mean that they have no taiva. No, forget about it. The good part of Esau doesn't mean they don't have any desire for pleasure. Of course they do. And it doesn't mean that they're not arrogant. And they are. But they're honest people. They will call whatever a spade is a spade. And therefore, Trump can represent the Tev Shebeisav. That's what I see. It's interesting. And so on. Where she represents the Rav Esav. And I believe the Rav really wants to get her out. To remove, it's called Biro. To mimavare, To take out, filter that terrible evil of Esav, which is the fraudulent aspect which is really probably the most terrible part of Esau. A second thing which is interesting <clears throat> is we know Hillary wants to continue the policies of Obama. But we know Obama. Obama is basically a Muslim. And I remember the whole Torah I gave you in the beginning that it really he's, he's the, he's the, um, the Malach of Yishmo's representation to overcome Esau uh, and, and so on, which I... <coughs> I think the first year and the second year, and so on. <clears throat> but we, when we look around the world, we see that Ishmael is collapsing. All over, the whole Middle East is collapsing. That's what's happening. Whether it be Egypt or Libya, it, it's all, they're all dying there, right? Yemen, Saudi Arabia, you know, Iran, I, well, the only one is Iran, but Iraq, 
Afghanistan, uh, Syria. They're all basket cases, basically. Uh, the whole Middle East collapsed without one Israeli bullet being fired. Well, actually, there was that operation, uh, the, the war and so, and so forth, you know. Uh, but, um, but that was just in, in terms of Gaza and so on. But basically, so therefore, how could anybody who wants to continue the the uh, policies of, uh, of Obama, which are basically the policies of uh, Yishmael, which is very <laughs> destructive to America, how would she be able to continue? If the Xera is, if the decree is that, or that Yishmael collapses, then she cannot continue the policies of Obama because the policies of Obama will destroy America. That's really what it's doing, and so on. So that's another indication or reason why Hillary, hopefully, We'll lose and so on. You know, in the end, it's an interesting concept. <clears throat> if you take a look at Purim, right, the Jews were doomed. I mean, here's the Grand Vizier, right, the Viceroy, and he condemned the Jews. He said, that's it. He picked a certain day. Everybody, let's all kill the Jews on whatever, right, on, 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 uh, on the 13th, whatever, Purim, uh, of Adar and so on, right? <clears throat> all of a sudden, Homer himself, which is interesting, he comes to Achashverosh in the middle of the night, or whenever that was, right, in order to get permission to hang Mordechai. The incredible thing is that Mordechai is despised, obviously, by, by Haman and, and probably most of the Persians, because they want to kill the Jews. And the Jews were despised, right? And he was coming to try to alter, the, uh, try to empower the decree to kill Mordechai, hang him up. And in that very event, in when he met with Achashverosh, it was reversed where Achashverosh said to Homan, nope, you got to lead him through the street, he's on my horse, right, and you got to drive him through the street, and so on, which is an unbelievable uh, descent and uh, embarrassment for Homan. Uh, what did Hashem do? It's, it's incredible that the redemption of the Jews from being a nobody and hated and so on was reversed in the very event, right, that he, that he came to condemn them. That, that's an unbelievable irony of, that's, that's a classic v'nahapaychu. Uh, that type of control over historical events is beyond our understanding. Where the Russian could take an event in which they should have, Mordechai should have died, right? And not only Mordechai, and the Jews were all doomed. That very event itself turned things around, v'nahapaychu. I find that interesting parallel, because that parallel seems to be um, it's like a vanahapechu. Uh, what what came out so bad against Trump? It was Comey. Comey violated his office. He knew. He knew. He, they they have the emails. They know exactly what's going on. Yet Comey refused to do anything about that. So in many ways, he's guilty not only of uh, corruption of justice. But he's the one who gave her so much support because once the American people said, hey, if Comey says she's okay, of course I'm going to vote for her. Yet Comey on Friday was the one who came out and reversed his position. Who would think that from the very man that, can, that, that, that what do you call it? Exonerated her. Well, no, no. The beginning, uh, well, yeah, exonerated her would be the very man that condemned her. I mean, you, you talk about Avanahapuchu. What Comey did on Friday is beyond belief. I think it was one of the biggest shocks America had ever received, uh, you know, in terms of uh, how a guy can completely reverse himself and the consequences of what he created. 
You know, I, I think that's an incredible v'nahapechu. With the very event or the person that was responsible, right, for, uh, in, in, uh, for uh, giving her credence and so on, is the very person that reversed himself. And he didn't have to do it. <clears throat> to me, that's a v'nahapechu. You see, and I'm, of course, hopeful that there's going to be an incredible v'nahapechu on Tuesday, on the election, so on and so forth, you know. Um, but um, in any case, what, what I've tried to do, well, you know, it, I, it, there's always, there's always um, interesting, if you take the, this year's Tovshenayin Zion, by Tiyashnas Eis Zion Zivug. This should be the year when Klai Yisrael again restores its Zivug, its match with Rabbanu you know, and also I find very interesting that if it's 5,777, if you add up all those letters, uh, numbers, 5777, it adds up to 26. Does that mean anything? UK, Vavke? Who knows? You know, not that these necessarily have to be that, but um, the simonim are interesting. What is the media? You have anything on the media? The what? I believe, I, I believe that the media will suffer terribly for what they've done. They've destroyed their credibility. I mean, you know, I mean, anybody who sees what the media did, I, I once said, you know, if you have an opinion to say, so then write it on the op-edge, op-edge, op-ed page, and so on, you know. How do you put stuff on front page, which is an exact betrayal of your profession? You have no more credibility. It means you, you are completely biased in whatever direction you want to go, and you will just say whatever you want. There's no truth anymore in the media. I think they've convinced the American people that the media is, is it's over. There's no truth whatsoever in whatever they say. And, we, we, and I think, ultimately speaking, they will be, in, in many ways, they will suffer greatly for the destruction of their credibility. Uh, whatever that means, people will not buy their papers anymore, or people will just get uh, on the Internet, no more you know, from the Times and so on. Uh, but I, I believe that they will suffer terribly for what they've done, and so on. Um, in any case, what, what is also another interesting thought which I had is that, you know, Hillary and Bill, these guys, they said themselves when they left the White House, whatever, they were broke. They were $300 million. How in the world did they go from being broke to having $300 million? I mean, obviously we know how, and so on and so forth, you know. <clears throat> It's interesting, what did she need this for? She's 68 or 69 years old, and I think Bill was 70 years old, Bill Clinton and so on. What did they need it for? They had money. Nobody would ever have known any of the scandals that they've done. They could have retired with all this fabulous wealth, and they could have lived an unbelievable life until they would pay her, you know, until they would die. What did they need this for? Because they're sick people. That's the problem. Because it's like the Gemara says, you know, you know, it's not enough that they're worth $300 million and, and, and that they have this incredible amount of power <coughs> and stature. Everybody, they, they say that they never paid for a plane trip. You know, they always wine and died first class or whatever, you know. <clears throat> Why do they do this for? Because there's so much into power and corruption. And I believe, really, I, this is my own belief, that the Bansham forced them, forced her to run, to bring out all the scandals, I believe, to destroy her. I said that a long time ago. Because it makes no sense. People should be that wealthy 
and that that and that um, have such incredible stature that now all of this is revealed. I mean, this is not going away. The FBI is after her, and they're really after her. Uh, and, and it's just amazing how everything comes out. They're really after that other guy, Congressman. I don't even want to say his name. You know, with him and, and so forth. So they're after him, and then all of a sudden they find emails on his site. It's like, the Rebunshim is leading them all over the place. You know, how would they have known that if that guy wasn't doing what he was doing on the Internet? And so on and so forth, you know? Uh, the Rebunshim is making sure that Comey's got all of this stuff. So he can have charata because what he did was terrible. And from the very place that she received such so, so much, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, credibility. credibility and so on, yeah, <coughs> that from that place she's being destroyed. I mean, when you look at all this kind of stuff, <coughs> you see the hand of God. You see what's going on is that the Rambam is doing so many different things at so many different times, uh, and in many ways it's all it's 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 miraculous. I mean, the fact that she's now facing jail for years and so on. <coughs> I mean, this is unheard of. I mean, a, a nominee should be facing jail time three days before the election. It's like, what is this? How do I understand? Because America, unfortunately, it's like Lincoln. Uh, how do people steal people from Africa? Where do you get the nerve to do that? So the guy's black, so he's primitive. So what? Therefore, you could take him. He's got a family. He's got kids. He's got a wife. How do you do that to somebody? you have any idea how, ev how much evil it takes for a person, uh, okay, to completely ignore humanity and to kidnap people? Because he's black, yeah, and what, and the whole, and the whole South, the whole culture of the South, the whole culture of the South is based on kidnapping. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. That's America. A great deal of America. You can't believe a great deal of America. I don't know if I call them evil. But there's something depraved and debased about America. Uh, and God wants to save them. You see, that's what he did by Lincoln. He saved America. Because America was Chayv Misa. How do you do something like that? Imagine a whole segment of the country has got slaves. And they're all Chayv Misa. They're all guilty of death, according to the Torah. Uh, and so on. But God did not look at that. And he saved them. Uh, same idea. This is no surprise uh, in terms of what America does. America, in many ways, is depraved and debased. How do you vote for a person like this? That's a criminal. Everybody knows she's a criminal. Uh, yet people want to vote for this woman. It's yeah, astounding. She up in prison, and that's clear. But you about if you like it or not, <coughs> you're putting the country in a constitutional crisis. Yes. That's so push it. The, the mere fact that Comey, the first time, did what he did was also Hashkafa. <coughs> you know why? Mm. Because had he said that she's criminal, they would have picked Biden instead of her. And That's exactly one, yes, one. yeah. You should know. I because right uh, let me elaborate because I I I wanted to say it but I didn't. Yeah, because the question is why why was there a delay? And what you're saying is correct as far as I'm concerned. Like that. That's exactly what I uh, wanted to say, but I didn't get around to it. Whatever. The problem was uh, is that he condemned her, uh, and he would have said we want to indict her, right? Then all of a sudden, what they had they have no choice. They were thrown her off. Right? and pick Biden. And Biden has a very good chance against Trump. 
even though Biden's, he's not all there, whatever that means. <laughs> no, do not compare Biden to Trump. Trump is way ahead of Biden. I'm sorry. I guess we, of course he's successful. Well, whatever it is, anyway. But Biden, but the American people in many ways are foolish. They could have voted for Biden. So Bunch made sure now three days before the election, too late. I'm very glad you haven't. Exactly, that's exactly what I want to say. In any case, uh, I brought us up to speed. Let's hope in uh, three days, Tuesday next year. Next week, what I'll probably do is analyze what happened on Tuesday. What time next week? What time is the shares time? Next oh, week? What's the Shabbos? What's the Shabbos? Uh, uh, what time is the share next week? Oh, so they're changing the clock tonight. It's really, oh, well, that's nice. It's not 10.47, it's 9.47. So we can do, we can do another hour. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so I, I hope I've given you, again, an overview of 21st century and how there's so many things in the Torah that are going on and that events which happened thousands of years ago <laughs> is literally what's happening now and, and, and so on. All about Esav and the different events and so on and so forth. Uh, about Esav and Edoim, about America and Lincoln and so on and so forth. Um, the problem is people get so wrapped up in American history, you know, again, because, and they don't think about the divine agenda behind all this and so on, you know. Uh, I feel that, again, that uh, Trump will win, although I'm not a prophet. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, what I see, I certainly hope he will, will win. Uh, I, it's probably the, the greatest election that Americans face, and I think God has to save America from itself. I once gave a shir on that. I, I was shir on that. You had to go back. You mentioned that? Yeah, yeah. I gave 11 shirum. This is the 12th. Remember, you mentioned that this, half the country is voting for her, even though it makes no sense because they're putting the whole country in constitution. Yeah, I told you why. <coughs> I told you why. Yeah, just uh, because we, we don't realize something. <clears throat> the closer we get to the end, there is a being that is going bananas. His name is the Sultan. We find that before the Jews left Egypt by by <coughs> the splitting of the Red Sea, we found that there were awesome prosecutions against the Jews. If you remember what the Sultan said, or Yeshua, whatever, the Malch of Mitzrayim, they worship idols and they worship idols. Why are you saving the Jews and not my people, the Egyptians, and so on? Uh, why was that? Because this was the end. The Jews would now go to accept the Torah, and once they accepted the Torah, that would be an awesome event, and that Torah that they were accepted would have been the Messianic light, if you remember what I said, and so on. Therefore, the Sultan and his entire entourage go crazy trying to stop the redemption. But there's a Wait, we are looking now, we are looking now at this. <clears throat> I believe that the Sutton, because if you think about it, the whole thing is not normal. Obama hates him, Trump. Uh, uh, Hillary hates Trump. The media hate Trump. The UN hates him. The, well, they uh, you know. The UN and they, they pulled it off 20 minutes later. Okay. UN hates him. But even the Republicans hate him. Uh, so the question is, what's going on here? Uh, this makes no sense. It's like everybody hates the guy. He's a <laughs> but he's against corruption. Anybody that makes a knows that the voting in her 
is going to they put don't the whole country in the media is putting it in the media. Is that on? Is that on? Yeah. It's on? Yeah. Oh, you got to tell me that. Uh, all I'm saying, what you begin to realize is that people hate Trump viscerally, gut. It's not a normal thing. And what you begin to realize is why. It, it's not normal what's going on. We've never seen something like this. And the, the idea is that <clears throat> the Sutton who was dying is about to lose Edoim, his major agent. That's how he does what he does, right? And therefore, he in some way is convincing or behind the Yetzirah trying to get everybody to stop Trump, you know. Uh, that's, as far as I'm concerned, that's what happened because we are so close to the Gula, which I've spoken about on previous Shurim and so on, the whole concept of the messianic processes on those Shurim and so on. And that's why you see such an inordinate attempt to stop this man. Yeah, like I said, it makes it. I never. Base, it wouldn't have been better, like a different nominee. The what? Cruz, uh, Ben Carson. They wouldn't have had the same. Just like there's a visceral antagonism against. Whatever. Anyway. There's also a visceral support of him. Anyway, look. If somebody wants to hear the whole thing, I'm now loading. I gave a two-hour summary in Eretz Yisrael about the. The 12th Shurim that I just gave now, a bridge version, so you could listen to that. But you really have to listen to go back to current events one and go through all 18 hours. Um, that's that's what it is. It's 18 hours because there's an enormous amount of material, not just on Hillary and 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 Trump and so on, but on the whole concept of Esav and Edom and what the messianic process is all about. A tremendous in Mashiach, who he is, what he is, what he has to go through, well, what the divine light is, who Putin is, I, you know, who, who I even said uh, Trump is uh, Gilgal, reincarnation. There's a, wait, 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 there's a lot of stuff you really should go through in the beginning. There's um, uh, to, 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 to go back in that, sh uh, if you really want to get a whole picture, it's a, it's a lot of stuff. And um, uh, it'll give you a tremendous understanding of, of what's what's about to happen, you know. Uh, let me just uh, anyway. That's about to um, okay, uh, let's let's hope next week we meet, and we're all going to bring out what the beer, the the liquor. Celebrate. No. If she wins, then it's another hashkafa. It's another uh, scenario, but another let's just hope I don't have to deliver that one. <laughs>